Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. Sometimes there's things that happen that we could have never predicted would have happened. Sometimes things cry out for explanation, and there really isn't an explanation to be given. And sometimes when difficult things happen in our life, people will come around and cry out, where's your God? And inwardly, we go home, we lick our wounds, and we cry out, where are you, God? And there are two where are you, God, questions in this very psalm. And then there are ten why questions. The two where questions are found in the taunts of those who don't believe in verses 3 and 10. And the enemies are crying out, where's your God? But the why are you downcast is repeated three times. And most scholars see Psalm 42 and 43 as one psalm. You see, there's five books of the Psalms. The first book ends, if you look back at Psalm 41, verse 13, it ends with, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Take a commercial break. Next week's episode will be Psalm 42. And then you get to book two of the Psalms. And typically the, the books start on a low note. They start right in the trials of life. In Psalm 42, it's like life is all of a sudden, something's happened. Something's, there's no explanation here. And that's what we're getting at. And then three times, uh, well, the, the Psalms 42 to Psalm 49 are all, they all begin with the sons of Korah, the sons of Korah. That's who wrote them, we believe, except for Psalm 43. It doesn't tell us uh, it's of the sons of Korah because most believe it's connected with Psalm 42 and they're connected. All the other ones from 42 to 49 say sons of Korah, 43 doesn't because it's picking up right where 42 left off. So we're going to look at them both together because in verse 5 of both Psalm 42 and 43, we have this same refrain, why are you cast down on my soul? As we read it this morning, I'd like for you, the congregation, let's read it responsively, because this is kind of the preaching to ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves. We'll let us preach it to one another when we get to that refrain of why are you downcast, O oh, my soul. So let's read this responsively this morning. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Let's say this together. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And Father, we would ask that you would teach us how to pray to pray these very psalms, to pray back to you what you have given to us, to pray to you. Lord, let this portion now be life for us. Lift us up. Lift up our souls, our heads, that, Lord, we would see how good and gracious you are, that we would again have hope, that we'd be renewed in body and spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may be familiar with this 80s lyrics from the, this tune from Journey. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay, do I want to be there in my city? So you said you're lonely? Well, my friend, I'm lonely too. I want to get back to my city by the bay. It's sad. There have been mornings out on the road without you, without your charms. You can't help if you know that tune to hear it and not feel a tinge of loneliness. As these guys are out on the road and they're longing to get back to their city by the bay. They love that city. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. He's lonely and he's wanting to get back to his city. This is a, a, a love poem. It's almost like you're reading the love poem of a husband who's been sent off to war and he wants to get back to the embrace of his wife. There is love in this text and the lover wants to get back to where he was before. But something has happened, he's in exile. There is a yearning that's going on here. And in verse 1, we're given this metaphor of a deer panting for flowing streams. The psalmist is thirsting, verse 2, for God. Not just for God, but for the living God. And when shall I come and appear in his face, is the word. Panial is the Hebrew. It's in the face of God, in your direct presence. It's not, he's not there, but he's longing to be in the presence of God. Now, the psalmist is the sons of Korah. Most everybody, well, there's actually, I shouldn't say everybody. Some think this is a psalm of David and it was given to the sons of Korah. Others believe it was the sons of Korah themselves who wrote these psalms, 42 to 49, and some others. But the sons of Korah, they were temple musicians. They were employed to lead, it says, he, they remember 
the psalmist remembers verse 4 of when he would lead the throng and he would lead them in the procession of the house of God. He used to lead the parade, lead them into the temple. They didn't just come in and begin worship. They would start outside and process in. You see, the psalmist has a, he's experiencing isolation, he's experiencing opposition, but he's also experienced a loss of purpose and a loss of employment. You see, these guys were, they were on the praise team full time, but not anymore. It's been removed. And now God seems far off because he is. And so if you look at the clues of the text as you read through these two psalms, follow the clues of what's going on here. He's thirsting to be in God's presence in the face of God before him. He can remember when he used to lead in procession of the house of God. And now he's saying, I remember you, but where is he remembering from in verse five? From the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. That is way up north. We are a long way from Jerusalem and a long way from the temple. And most think that this is like an exile. And if you think of this as like the Babylonian exile, the Babylonians have come and they've taken the sons of Korah who were employed in the temple and now they're, they're taking them up north. And as they're going up north, he's got his journal and he's looking down from Mount Mazar, which is this little hill at Mount Hermon, which is the last site of, of the last part of, of Jerusalem and the last part of, he is far away from home and he wants to get back home to his city, wants to be back because that's where God's presence is and he's missing it. And so he's experiencing this isolation. And so his prayer is for direction. If you look at Psalm 43, he's praying for direction and he's praying um, for God to defend him in verse one. But then in verse three, he's asking that God would direct him and bring me back to your holy hill, to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you with the lyre, probably the very instrument that he was skilled in using. He can't wait to be used by God. So not only does he have a, a lack of, of input of God feeling distance, but he's got a lack of output of where he used to be being used by God and now he's been put on the shelf. And some of you feel like that. You feel like at work, maybe you've been put on the shelf. Maybe in your life, you just feel like, man, I've just been put on the back burner. Everything's going on, but my life's going nowhere. And it's like everything's been turned upside down on you. That's what the psalmist is experiencing. He's experiencing an exile. We're not sure what the exile is. We're not sure if it's the Babylonian exile. Some think it was when David was on the run, either from Saul or from Absalom. But we know that there's, there's great feelings here that are being addressed as a result of this exile. And this exile is led to spiritual depression. There is a loss of community. He remembers when he was with the throng, leading the multitude. And now he has a loss of purpose, a loss of place, a loss of status, a loss of duty, a loss of joy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
I mean, I went through one of the darkest periods of my life was right after college, where it was like I was at a Christian college, and I have a real heart for young people, particularly right out of college, because, man, I came back, I thought I was God's gift to the ministry. I mean, I was the student government president, whatever that means, on campus, you know, and it was like I was at this small little school, and everybody knew me, and, you know, it was like, man, I was BMOC, man, big man on campus, you know, and I had all my friends, and anytime you needed counsel, encouragement, you just walk down the hall and you pray. You meet your buddies. And now I'm back from college and all my friends are gone. And I thought I was going to raise money and go live in New York City and, and you know, ride around on a skateboard and save people for Jesus. And I flunked out at fundraising, just flat flunked. I was at a Southern Baptist church. They didn't support Southern, anything that wasn't Southern Baptist, and this wasn't a Southern Baptist ministry, and that was the end of that. And so it was just God just pulled the, the rug out, and I had nothing. I was working the night shift for UPS, throwing boxes, singing Beatles songs, Here Comes the Sun, when I'd finally see the sun come up about, four, about 5.30 in the morning after throwing boxes for hours. Those were dark days. What helped me through was the Psalms. There were times I couldn't sleep. I mean, the psalmist here, do you think the psalmist was having a hard time sleeping? What are the clues of Psalm 42? Check out his appetite in, verse 40, in 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Translation, he's not eating. And what he is eating is tears. And he's not sleeping because he's saying day and night. He's just crying. I mean, there were times when, when, when I was going through this, I didn't know what heart palpitations were or I didn't know what hot flashes were. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I knew that, that I, I could feel my chest, my heart beating out of my chest. And the only way I could get to sleep at night was to pray psalms out loud. And to walk through, and, and that's what they're here for. You guys, people have been praying Psalm 42 for thousands of years. You want to learn how to pray, we've got 150 prayers. Most of the, of the Bible is God speaking down to us. But we have a book of us speaking up to God that's inspired scripture for us to pray back to God our troubles, our hardships. And when life gets hard, sometimes, man, we are thirsty I remember one time going kayaking with Jeff Durs. Jen, Jeff's here today. Lovely story. Last time I'll ever kayak in my life. I thought, I thought kayaking was easy. I had been one time, I went down the rapids with somebody, and I thought I was pretty good. My kayak never flipped. It was a piece of cake. Level one rapids, West Virginia. And so I said to Jeff, man, I think I can do this, man. Let's go kayaking. Let's go. And so we go we go out to the Potomac at Old Angler's Inn where the real guys kayak. And we got on the kayak and he said, let's go upstream and play in the rapids. Play in the rapids upstream? I thought we'd go downstream. Isn't that what kayaking is? We went upstream so that we could tip over and we could go downstream. That was what it was for me. Tip over, tip over, tip over. Well, when you kayak, there's this thing called the skirt. And the skirt is what keeps you from getting the water in the middle of the kayak. And there's a string that you have to keep on the outside that if you tip over, you pull the skirt so you can get your legs out and you can escape out the kayak. 
Well, I had this wonderful experience of one of the times I flipped over and I'm reaching for this string and it's not there. There is no string, no rope. I got nothing. All of a sudden my life has been turned upside down and I'm going the, this way down the Potomac River towards rocks and stuff. I'm upside down and I happen to be not liking not being able to breathe. But I remember Kelly telling me that one time she contorted her body and was able to contort her head out of the water to suck a breath. And I remembered Kelly Doerr. She probably saved my life. Well, I leaned up and I sucked water while I'm still stuck in the kayak, sucked a breath, went under, and I keep reaching for the skirt string, and it's nowhere to be found. It's not a good feeling. So in my panic, I just grabbed the whole thing and eventually just pulled the whole thing off. And I came up shooting out of the water. And I got to tell you, air had never been more precious. <laughs> it was beautiful. My body was thirsting for air. And when I got it, it was precious. But Jeff looked at me and he probably could, and he said, are you done? <laughs> Something like, <laughs> he knew just by looking at me, the sheer terror on my face, I'm sure. Are you done? Like, I am done done. Like, <laughs> kayaking is not my sport. <laughs> well, maybe you're there this morning. You feel like you've just been, all of a sudden, you've been turned upside down, and you're reaching for the ripcord, and it's not there. What happened was I had forgot to leave it out. I had tucked it in. It was my fault. But I didn't have the, you know, at the time, I wasn't thinking, oh, gee, I must have, must have tucked it in. I mean, you're just panicking. And sometimes you're just in a panic, and all you need is air. You need help. That's what the psalmist is crying out for the living God. He wants God. When people are in the midst of depression like this, when they're experiencing an exile, a banishment, we as the body have to come around. People that we know are in exiles. Some can't come to church. We had a, we had a lady couldn't come to church anymore because she, she couldn't control her bladder anymore. You just get to a point in old age where she couldn't do that, so she couldn't be here. Margaret can't be here because she can't walk. It's, it's, it's an exile. It's very difficult. We have some parents who it's very difficult for them to be here because they're children. They have, you know, sometimes big issues with children. And sometimes if you've been away or you're working or you're traveling on business, children's sports, all of a sudden you come back to church and it's like an oasis. It's like, where have I been? We're crying out for the living God. That's what the psalmist is experiencing. He's experiencing this exile. And in the midst of this exile, his tears have been his food. And so... For us this morning, I want to look at how this can, can help us, what we can, the lessons that we can learn from this. And as we're longing for God, we also recognize that we, there's something about the community longing together that's essential. It's not just we can't just do this on our own. The psalmist is recognizing that he wants to go back with the people of God in the temple where he was leading with the procession and the throng and doing it corporately. There's something beautiful about corporate worship, isn't there? We need the people of God, we need the church because we have these taunts, these voices and the taunt is where's your God? And sometimes you pray and you pray 
And God hasn't delivered you from your thorn in the flesh, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. And 2 Corinthians 12 tells us the reason that God sometimes gives us a thorn is that he wants to keep us from pride, and he also wants us to to personally and acutely know that his grace is sufficient in our weakness, and he doesn't deliver us from a particular painful difficulty. And yet, meanwhile, unbelieving friends, family, sometimes even believers, they come along in the midst of this agony that we're experiencing, and they want to know, where's your God? I mean, if God was good, if God was good, your spouse wouldn't have left you. If your, sp- if your God is so good, then how come your marriage didn't work? If your God is so big and so strong and so mighty and there's nothing your God cannot do, then how come your spouse is no longer here? How come your spouse is now deceased? How come your health hasn't come back yet? If God is good, then why do I have this chronic fatigue and chronic pain or can't sleep? Where's your God? I'll tell you, when, when the late-term abortionist Leroy Carhart, you know, we... For some of you that weren't here for this, I mean, this past year, we raised money. Lots of churches, big community raised lots of money. And we thought we had permanently shut him down. We closed down two abortion clinics, but within two months, he landed in Bethesda. Let me tell you, that was a sucker punch. Because I was kind of leading that, that parade. And there were some people that, you know, said some, said some stingers. Few were from the church here. <laughs> and in the midst of that, I had to, I mean, you know, when he went to Bethesda, they had this big uh, prayer rally thing, and, and the news was there, and, and a Channel 7 reporter just, you know, kept sticking the mic, wanting a sound bite from me, and he just wanted to say, so you were wrong, right? So you were wrong, right? So you were wrong. And somebody from the church sent me an email and they said basically what we did was a Hail Mary pass at best. And that was painful. But you know what? It's probably the best Hail Mary pass I ever threw. And you just have to come back and realize, okay, what do we make of this? We have to cry out from God. Where is our identity? And sometimes I don't have an explanation how I sense that God clearly led through that and yet There he is. He seems like he's doing better than ever. He's got less opposition in Bethesda than he ever had in Germantown. And in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And so the image that, that Ben created for this sermon series is just the idea of wave after wave. Sometimes there's just like, they come in triples. And some of you heard the story of I got two drowning stories this morning almost. My other one was in Trinidad. This was like the worst mission trip experience I ever had. And I was in Trinidad, and the first terrible thing that happened was a a beetle went into my ear. And uh, that's a whole different story that I'll work it in sometime. But let me tell you, it was not the normal, typical small beetle. This thing had like chompers, okay? And he was in my ear, and we prayed him out in the middle of the night in Trinidad. And when that thing went out of my ear, 
my ear, clo- it, he basically bit into my eardrum, okay? And he came out, as the blood came out of my ear eventually, and my ear scabbed up, and I couldn't hear out of this ear. So here I am on this mission trip, supposed to be leading this trip, and I, can, and I already have bad hearing to begin with, as my kids can testify to. So I have a hearing loss in both ears, but now this ear is completely like I can't hear anything. I go to the doctor, he just said, you're going to have to just wait for this thing to heal. It's scabbed up. Of course, Trinidad, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how much stock to put in the doctor that I was getting, you know, his advice, but this is long before the internet. And but when this thing actually released, it actually healed itself. The last night we were there, we were singing, and we were praising, and we're praising God, and all of a sudden my ear just bleep. I, had, I was no longer in mono. I was in stereo. I mean, it was like, praise God, I can hear again. I had been in exile. I mean, when you, have, when you only have one, one ear working, it is a weird feeling. You feel lonely. You feel estranged. Well, the other crazy thing that happened in, in Trinidad, there were several things, but we went out swimming one day in the water, and the waves were not breaking like they break in the States. And I was out over my head, and a wave comes, and I realized, man, I got to go under. I got to come up. Another wave's already on top of me. I got to go under, come up. There's another wave. Got to go under, come up. There's another wave. Go under, come up. I don't have any time to, like, regain composure, catch my breath. All I could do was come up, get a breath, go down, wave would go over, and I realized I'm exhausted. And I don't know if I can keep swimming. I don't have the strength to do this. I just gotta get back to shore, but I don't have the strength now to get back to shore. What am I gonna do? All the waves keep breaking over me. And so I just turned my back to the waves and let them pound me. And I was praying, Lord, just let my feet touch so that I can get back to shore. And they did. The waves hit me, knocked me back, and I was able to get a couple of the guys that, I was, that were out in the water with me, get in. And they said, yeah, that was crazy. You know, but we made it. Well, maybe that's where you're at this morning. The waves are just crashing, crashing. And all you're doing is trying to come up and get another breath, and down you go. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. He's in the midst of these breakers coming over him. And in the midst of this, he has a tether. And the tether in the midst of the taunts, in the midst of the tears, in the midst of his thirst, his tether is his prayer life. And his prayer is is he learns how to give himself a self-rebuke. He's calling himself into account. And that was the part that you guys were praying this morning, is the self-rebuke, is calling out to yourself, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. That's the idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher in England, he's with the Lord now, but in the, in the mid-60s, he preached a whole series on depression. And out of, the book, out of that came a book, and the book is just his sermons, and it's, it's called Spiritual Depression. It was one of his best-selling books. It's still in print, and I highly recommend it. And I was reading it this week again. It's a great book. And in, the, in Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual depression, he gives several reasons why we get depressed. He thinks some depression is just because of our temperament, that some temperaments are more prone to de- depression than others. 
Then he says sometimes there are physical conditions of why we get depressed and we can be affected by certain things related to our health, even our, our thyroid or if things are out of balance, we're not exercising, you know, there, there's going to be issues that can relate to depression. Then, he's, then he talks about a big low after a super high, which he calls a down reaction after a great blessing. And the idea is that when you've been on a spiritual high, you can almost expect a massive spiritual low. And you see that in scripture with Elijah. He he's, calls the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he takes them to task and, and God comes down and laps up the, the fire and takes the, the sacrifice and all the prophets of Baal are, are killed. And then the next chapter, he's running for his life and he's crying out to God and he asks God, Basically, just take my life. Let me die. I'm no better than my father's. He's so depressed. He went from a high to a low. And Lloyd-Jones says sometimes depression is an attack of Satan, that Satan attacks us, tries to get our eyes off God. But then he says often depression comes from what we would say is good old-fashioned unbelief. And that's the biggest problem, is unbelief in the goodness of God and the promises of God. And we tend to equate uh, our circumstances with God's goodness rather than God's goodness re- regardless of our circumstances. And that's why it was good for us this morning to read about Jesus' circumstances. They weren't all rosy, were they? And all of his friends let him down and nobody was there for him. But if we have unbelief, then what happens is we don't have a buoy in the midst of these waves crashing over us. So here's the main gem in this book by Lloyd-Jones, this is kind of the diamond on the ring. It's a two-paragraph quote, and it goes like this, and it's on these very verses. He says, I say we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what this means? I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I trying to just be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it, he says. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start, they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you downcast on my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I'll speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you've had but little experience. The main art in this matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you downcast on my soul? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, exhort yourself, say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note to defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, for he is also the health of my countenance and my God. There's several of these in the Psalms. It's not just Psalm 42. For your homework, go home and read Psalm 62. Read Psalm 116 and read the parts that are getting to where is, O my soul, 
where we're telling our souls what to do. It's the beginning and end of Psalm 103, and it's the beginning and end of Psalm 104. Oh, my soul. It's, it's preaching to ourselves what our soul needs to be doing. And here it's, why are you downcast in my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And the idea is learning how to fight. And it's actually calling ourselves into account. And this is how we can pray for each other. And so we're in the midst of these difficulties of exiles, whether it's chronic pain or a back surgery, disease, cancer, being a shut-in, whatever those exile, I mean, for the psalmist, this exile was very real. And for us, these exiles are real as well. And so the psalmist ends with praying that God would defend him. And we should pray like that. Vindicate me is God, vindicate me. It's defend me. Protect me when unrighteous people falsely accuse me. And then he's praying for God to direct him because he wants to come back. He wants to come to the altar. He wants to come to God, his exceeding joy. And that's where we, you know, we need to grow in learning how to love the Psalms Pray in the Psalms. I love last Sunday when, when Chris Wellington did the pastoral prayer and he just prayed and he started with, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. And it goes on to say, Before Ephraim and Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The Psalms are meant to be prayed. They're meant to be sung. They're meant to be used in corporate worship, but certainly in our personal worship. We have to know them and make them our own. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let me remind you that Psalm 42 and 43 is also a Jesus psalm. He experienced the exile that none of us will ever experience. Jesus experienced hell. His hell was so acute I mean, even creation was crying out. This goes dark, and there's an earthquake. As, God, as Jesus is suffering our hell for us, he's cast off, and he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His food was tears, and his blood was sweating out of his head in the garden. He knew what he was getting into. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so he could go to the altar, to God is exceeding joy. He went to the ultimate exile so that in our exiles, our loneliness and our alienations, we would know, as Hebrews 2 says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Come to him this morning. There is no trial, no exile that Jesus hasn't experienced a hundred times more so as he was exiled from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we can say, my God, my God, why have you accepted me forever because of Jesus? 
Let's come to him. Father, now as we prepare to come to your table, meet with us, remind us of your loving kindness, how much you love your children. And may we not measure that by circumstances, but knowing that you sent your son out of love and that he gave his life out of love. You gave your spirit out of love. Thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love before the foundation of the world. We ask that you would lift us up now in Jesus' name. Amen.